You wanted advice, you said. I never give it, never. But I might just say this to you. Always search for truth. My truth is in the stars. And yours is here. Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us on a quick trip through space and time. My name is Caleb. And I'm Mac. And this is a podcast where a Doctor Who veteran and a Doctor Who beginner go through each episode of Doctor Who and give their thoughts on it. And this week, we will be watching The Daleks. The Daleks. Uh, the Daleks originally came out in uh, dis- from December 21st, uh, 1963, to... February 1st. Is it February 1st? Yeah, it's February 1st, 1964. I had way too much free time on my hands at work because I work in an office and I'll be damned if I'm actually going to do any actual work on my uh, weekdays. And I just numbered out how many episodes there were in every single classic Who episode and then uh, figured out what the average was from that because, again, Way too much fucking free time on my hands. Um, And the average came out to about like 4.3 something something. So about four and a a third episode. So the last episode was four episodes. The last story was four episodes. And this one is a little bit longer. Just a little bit longer. Is uh, at seven. Just a smidgen. Just a smidge. It was directed by uh, Christopher Barry and Richard Martin. Uh, it was written by Terry Nation and produced by Verity Lambert. So, Caleb, we've already established in previous episodes that, to, to me, the Daleks are um, kind of the Doctor Who equivalent of the Klingon from Star Trek. Not in any sort of, like, personality or cultural-wise, but more along the lines of, even if you've never seen a single fucking episode of Star Trek, you know what a Klingon is. Yeah, they're like stormtroopers. Yeah, and you've never, you've never, uh, I mean, until recently, you've never watched an episode of Doctor Who, and you still knew what a Dalek was. Yes. There's a certain amount of uh, cultural osmosis, I guess. Exactly. So, given what little you know from the cultural osmosis of the Daleks, and the very not at all giving away title uh, of the Daleks. What is your prediction of what this episode is going to be on? Well, the way the last story ends, we see kind of like a desolate forest. Like it looks like, it looks like it's sounds like decaying and rotting. So I imagine this art is going to be a post-apocalypse earth story where the Daleks are Wally like creatures who are ceaselessly picking up the trash of humans, and when they see humans again, they're like, oh, you know what we should just do? We should just kill humans. So it's Wally, but um, iRobot. It's not entirely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> there, there are definitely aspects of your predictions that you may be surprised to see. <laughs> I really hope it's Wally. <laughs> Yeah, Wally was inspired by Daleks, didn't you know that? (laughs) And with that, we will see you all in the future. Let's get going.
we're back it may have just been a couple seconds for you but it was two weeks for us a journey that it was a journey for us it was definitely a journey there were i in our defense i had like a week-long vacation somewhere in there so yeah this was actually mostly max fault yeah which gave you plenty of time to watch all seven episodes of the Daleks. And you weren't at all like a high school student who knew that the final project was going to be coming in for, for three months and binged it all on the same day that we were recording the rest of the episode. No. I That's not did. at all what you did. <laughs> I definitely did not binge all seven episodes of this uh, right before we got on here. <laughs> no, of course not, because we're responsible podcasters. Yes, I'm prepared. Absolutely. Okay, so some fun notes. This is the episode. This is the debut of the Daleks. No shit. This is also the debut of the Thals. Not quite as iconic as the Daleks, but still there. And it's the debut of Scaro. We may or may not see these particular elements in later stories. I'll keep. I'll let you know. Before we really dive into it, Caleb, overall, what'd you think of the trash cans? Much more positive this time. I, while a lot of it is still ironic, I actually kind of liked this story. Good. Um, but yeah, but it's, it's for everything I liked, there were probably one thing I didn't like and one thing that was cringe. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, there was, I, I definitely had some mixed feelings as well, but I felt, um, I felt that it was an overall improvement from an unearthly child. But hey, enough dilly-dallying. Do you want to go ahead and take take the reins and yeah, let's get to this recap. All right, yeah, a recap of episode... I'm going to call it episode one of the Daleks. So episode one opens on the time travelers as they head out from the TARDIS and into the mysterious and highly radioactive forest. There, they find the trees are made from stone, and even encounter a mysterious but very dead metallic creature. After Ian, who has believed absolutely nothing up until this point, asks asks Barbara to just believe that they will return home, the Doctor discovers an abandoned city. The The group's wonders cut short, though, when Susan is terrified after someone touches her while alone in the woods. Back in the TARDIS, the group begs the Doctor to take them home instead of investigating the city. So like a sensible person, he sabotages his own property and makes up some bullshit about needing to go into the city to replace the part. Once in the city, the group split up and Barbara finds herself stumbling into one of the strange buildings. Once in, she is locked inside and trapped with the survivors. Uh, We almost went a whole episode without her screaming. Almost! We almost went an entire episode. I, I, I even thought it. I looked at the time for the episode. I was like, oh, wow, we're almost there. We're almost there without one of the women going into complete hysterics. Well, not, well, because Susan kind of well, does it. But. Susan kind of goes into hysterics when someone taps her on the shoulder. It's and like then mildly sensible, though, because like everything around them is dead. Yeah, but 
Susan still has at least I'm I'm going to be keeping an eye out for it, but I'm pretty sure Susan has at least one like freak out per story. At least one. <laughs> yeah. I I would believe that at this point. So It's weird because I don't remember Barbara freaking out this much, but we're two for two so far. So <laughs> we'll see. We'll see. Uh, since I was being snarky in the notes, I want to bring this up because it's the first thing that bothered me about this episode, really. Okay. Um, so up until this point, Ian has been like, well, I don't believe any of this. Like, how could this possibly be happening? And then against all odds, where it seems like it's going to be literally impossible for them to get home, he's telling Barbara, I just need you to believe that we're going to get home. Yeah. What are you talking about, Ian? We're... We have no idea where we are. We're probably in the future. There's nothing alive around us. Yeah. I mean, I, f- I feel like he... See, th- there was a line that was in An Unearthly Child that kind of stuck out to me when right before they go into the the, the empty lot that the TARDIS was in, uh, where he says, I take things as they come. And I feel like An Unearthly Child was Ian freaking the fuck out that his world was being shattered his worldview was being shattered i feel like the daleks was him starting to be like okay so this isn't just uh a hallucinogenic trip because i'm in the 60s this is actually a thing that's happening yeah and i guess he's just accepting his new reality i don't know it just seemed maybe weird to me because I, Bar- I also i also was kind of getting the impression that ian is starting to get like a taste for it it feels like he's starting to get into the adventure aspect. I could certainly see that because in Unearthly Child, he tried to like rely on the Doctor a lot more to figure out what to do. Whereas Ian was the one really taking a lot of initiative in basically every episode of this story. Yeah, because I, I kind of like the the attitude. Because I, I noted that in my notes too. Um, I said that I like the idea... The, attitude of well there's no way of getting home right now so we may as well enjoy the ride while we're on it kind of thing i think all in all like this episode is really slow though especially compared to the other episodes it Um, is it kind of just takes its time uh and nothing interesting really happens until the doctor starts being a fucking asshole (laughs) yeah i i think that it's um it's they're kind of like building up the tension of like oh man what could be out here but i i think the fact that it does it because i completely agree it does kind of drag and that's going to be a note that i'm going to have for a lot of this story i feel like this seven long the seven episode long story probably could have been like five I agree. It probably could have been five. I kind of like the fact that it's a little longer. Um, there's a bit more world building, which was which I was mm. severely lacking in an unearthly child. Yeah, but yeah, I agree. They're like especially. I feel like I don't know. I feel like it's this episode and like a few of the later episodes in this story where I'm like, all right, come on, get to the point. But yeah, I feel, like the, I feel like the middle section is like really strong, actually. Yeah, given, given the time period. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. But you you were talking about uh, Ian's attitude about this whole thing. I'd like to take a second to talk about Barbara's attitude towards this whole thing. Because she's like very, oh god, we're never going to get home. We're never going to get home. 
And like, yeah, that's obviously concern, but also, Barbara, you're on an alien planet right now. You have, even you have to admit it's a little cool that you're on an alien planet right now. Enjoy it a little bit. Just a little. Just, I'm begging you, just a little bit. <laughs> I guess. I don't know. I, I kind of sympathize with Barb in this sense. Um, the best way I can equate this is uh, in high school when we used to talk about, like, you know, what will we do if there was, like, a zombie apocalypse? Yeah. And my answer was, like, oh, that's easy. I'd kill myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, 100% the same mentality. If I was like thrown into the future, I was in the middle of a clearly desolate planet. I'd be like, well, time to off myself, I guess. There's no, there's no other help for me. <laughs> All right. So I guess we are the Ian and Barbara in this situation. Because I'd be like, oh man, I wonder what's over there. No, I'm, and I, I'm, I'm just ready to check out. So yeah, maybe that's why I was like, kind of like put off by Ian's like weird optimism about the situation. I was like, dude, you're on, you're on. A whole nother planet with nothing alive around you what what do you mean you think you can get home what do you mean just believe it and meanwhile i'm like yeah you're on an alien planet that you've never been on let's fucking enjoy this ride <laughs> and there was one line that uh ian says to the doctor that he says you can do whatever you like as long as you don't endanger the rest of us uh, the doctor then continues to endanger the rest of them for going on 60 years now. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. It's a... <laughs> it, it's the so the doctor's been an asshole the whole time, but what happens in this episode is so fucking extra. Oh my god. <laughs> I I thought it was so it was like a ballsy ass move. Because he, because Ian like demanded that the doctor take us home, take them home, and he was like, "Okay, fine." And then he just goes over to the console, reaches down, like bends over down underneath the console, pulls out a part, and says, "Oh no, it's broken. We have to go into the city to find the the missing part." Like he did everything except just like maintain eye contact with Ian the whole time, and then crush it underneath his shoe. Because, like, it's just, it's just so blatant. Like, mm -hmm. he just sabotages his own, he doesn't just sabotage his own ship. He does it right in front of them. There's no subtlety whatsoever. And I kind of love it. <laughs> <laughs> I, what's, what's really kind of amazing about it, too, is just how much I believed it. Uh, like, obviously, I was, like, shocked in the sense of, like, oh, my God, I can't believe he'd do that. But also... Everything I've seen about this character, the doctor would hundred percent fucking do this. Yes, he absolutely would. <laughs> it's not like it's not some insane leap of logic like other parts of the show. Like no, like the doctor is like totally unhinged and would do something like this. Yeah, at this current moment in time, the doctor does not give a shit whether Ian and Barb live or die. Like he is here one hundred percent for the adventure and for the scientific curiosity. And he does not want them to get in his way. <laughs> I something that uh, you didn't mention in your uh, recap, and why would you? Because it was such a small thing. But I think one of my favorite aesthetics is like past visions of the future, like like the Jetsons is a perfect example. Because when they go in to back into the TARDIS after they've been wandering around the forest a little bit, and they're um, they're hungry. 
they go over the doctor and Susan go over to this like machine because they ask what they want what they want to eat and he says Ian says eggs and bacon like eggs and bacon and so he like pulls out this little book to find the eggs and bacon entry and then tell Susan specific uh, buttons and dials to turn on the machine uh, to make the eggs and bacon. And then it pops out like this, almost like this stick of gum kind of thing, almost like this like yeah, block of tack. Like yeah. And then he bites into it and like one bite is uh, eggs. One bite is bacon. It's like, again, back to the Willy Wonka comparison. It's like the, the, the candy that's, every meal throughout the day kind of thing yeah on that note i I did want to bring this up so i'm glad you reminded me um the doctor's explanation it still does not really answer ian's question no it's not (laughs) Not, like not even he's he's like one by his bacon one by his egg like how do you do that and the doctor's like oh it's just it's all chemicals it's just about mixing stuff together to get the right flavor i was like but that doesn't answer why the flavor is different when you bite it (laughs) (laughs) because shut up basically because <laughs> it basically says like what are you stupid obviously it's just putting shit together to make it taste right okay so this is another thing that i noticed that i thought was really really brilliantly subtle world building that i don't know if it was intentional or not but i noticed it and i thought it was really cool they so the doctor takes out the part and he's like ah we're out of mercury we gotta we gotta go down to the city to find mercury so they go down to the city, and as we as we find out at the end of An Unearthly Child, the planet is actually heavily radiated. And so by the time they get down to the city, everyone's a little tired, but the doctor in particular is very exhausted because he's so old and he's been and unbeknownst to everybody, he's he's been bomb, they've been bombarded with radiation, and he needs to find a place to sit down. So he sits down on the floor. Because there are no chairs, because the Daleks can't sit. Hmm. Which, I don't know if that was intentional, but I noticed that, and I thought that was cool. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't really have anything to add to that specifically. I guess I was just like, oh yeah, they're outside, it's on the floor. (laughs) But, to that end, this episode and this story arc is way better about having kind of like a little subtle world building, or like contextual world building like that. Mm-hmm. and um, actually just making us give a fuck about what's going on. Yeah. Because, uh, like, the cavemen were like, I don't know. I don't know what the orb is. I don't know who these people are. They don't even really explain it. I don't even think they know who they are. Whereas, like, you know, the history of the world and the Thals and all that actually relates to what's going on in the plot. Yeah. Um, I had a couple of other notes, but it was mostly just me riffing. It's nothing. nothing really all that important i thought it was dumb that they were in a completely alien world had absolutely no idea what may or may not be lying in the city and they decide to split up like their goddamn scooby gang but um but other than that i didn't really have any other notes uh yeah i I, again i thought this episode was pretty uneventful except for the doctor just like being a total madman (laughs) yeah uh so let's go into episode two all right episode two opens on the remaining travelers as they enter the building barbara went missing in They find a Geiger counter that they can read for some reason, and it's off the charts. The doctor realizes they are all dealing with radiation poisoning, and he admits to lying about needing to fix the ship so he could explore the city. As always, he refuses to accept any responsibility and is ready to leave Barbara behind. Ian coerces him into helping find her, but it doesn't matter because they are caught immediately when they exit the room. 
by a group of mysterious trash cans with plunger arms that boss them around and lead them into a cell where Barbara is also being held. After an interrogation with the Daleks, the doctor convinces them to send one of them back to the TARDIS to retrieve drugs that can help treat their radiation sickness. The Daleks tell him of the Thals, another race of potentially mutated people that survived the Neutronic Wars. After returning to the group, no one but Susan is well enough to return to the TARDIS, so she must head there alone. She successfully returns to the, tar- to the TARDIS and retrieves the drugs and must make the journey back through a storm. Yeah. So I have a note right at the beginning of that. Okay, um, something that we forgot to mention in, in the previous episode was they explored the forest a little bit, uh, went back into the TARDIS, and decided to go into the city. But when they left the TARDIS in the next morning, there was a box full of vials of they didn't know what, but then later find out it's the anti-radiation drugs. Anyway, no, yeah. continue. What was your note? Yes, we didn't mention that before, but yes, the drugs. Um, my note is, why do the Daleks have a normal Geiger counter that re- that regular English-speaking humans can read? I could come up with some sort of bullshit answer for you, but it would be nothing but a bullshit answer. <laughs> <laughs> and keep in mind that like I'm usually really bad at stuff like this. Like uh, I'm pretty good at like suspending disbelief and just accepting things. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But I, uh, I guess even I have a line because when they were like, look at this Geiger counter, it's off the charge. I'm like, why is there a Geiger counter at all? And if there was, <laughs> why would they know how to read it? So I, I'm not even entirely sure if this is even mentioned, if this is even brought up in Classic Who. It might be, it might not be, I don't know. But something that's at the very least mentioned in New Who is that the TARDIS kind of messes with your brain when you travel in it. And that you can then understand the languages of wherever it is you're at and vice versa. So that might be the reason why he can, why they can recognize this as a Geiger counter. I don't know why the Geiger counter is there, <laughs> but that's an explanation for why they know what it is. That's still a bullshit answer, just so you know. It's still a bullshit answer. It's 100% bullshit answer. I'm still not convinced that they even say that anywhere in classic who i'm pretty sure it's just yeah we're in we're on an alien planet and everyone speaks perfect english with a british accent <laughs> that, that's just writers looking back on 20 plus years of plot holes and being like we gotta explain this somehow yeah 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 i do kind of like at the at the beginning of the episode the doctor you know realizes he's fucked up and um is like hey so our ship isn't actually broken ha 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 and Ian is basically like, hey, can I see that? Can I see that uh, that machine part real quick? And the doctor just kind of like hands it over. And now the power dynamic is switched because now the doctor is like, let's get the fuck out of here. And Ian is like, no, because I have the coil. I just like how the, the power dynamic kind of uh, switches back and forth. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, and again, uh, this is kind of like Ian taking a bit more agency for like what's going on. Um, and him kind of taking on the uh, ballsy leader role, uh, which they desperately le- desperately need because the doctor will leave them to die at literally any moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there was a moment that I thought was so funny. It was <laughs> I don't it was one of those moments that's funny to me, but clearly wasn't meant to be funny because they leave that room and then and they're immediately surrounded by Daleks. That's fine. And Susan, like, uh, shrieks because 
I mean, it's a bunch of trash cans with plungers on them. That would that is definitely surprising. But like she continues to have this shocked and horrifying expression while they're being cornered by these guys. And I'm like, come on, like be startled. But these guys are not intimidating yet. They're really doofy looking. (laughs) Yeah, they really they are really goofy looking. So an, an unearthly child, and it's funny that uh, that she had that horrified reaction, because an unearthly child didn't really do all that well in terms of ratings. Meanwhile, the Daleks did amazing, and it's kind of what caused the show to be as, become as popular as it is. Um, and Carol Ann Ford, the actress who plays Susan, was very surprised by how successful the Daleks was, because she agrees that the Daleks are really stupid looking and that anytime the Daleks like prodded her, she had to stop herself from laughing. <laughs> That's funny. And you, oh, you're going to love this because I was looking up the trivia. You're going to absolutely love this. The designer that was originally going to that was originally going to work on this was Ridley Scott. What? Yeah, Ridley Scott was originally going to be the one that was going to create the Daleks, but his schedule didn't allow it. So he was replaced by um, Raymond Raymond Kusick, I think his name is, um, and he's the one who designed the Daleks. What what would a Ridley Scott Dalek look like? I don't know, but I'm kind of I kind of really want to know. Someone email him. And also the budget constraints for this uh, story, they were only able to afford to create four Daleks. So you will only ever see four Daleks on screen at a time, but they imply that there's more there. And that will come up later as a really, really funny thing that if you don't know that, you might not notice it at first. But I did know it going in and I could not stop laughing at it. Hmm, interesting. I feel like looking back on it now, I could tell, but um, like retroactively thinking about it. But like in the moment, like I never really thought that there were specifically four i knew the show was low budget but i knew that before this so yeah yeah this is another one of those episodes where like it's a it's got the same pacing as an unearthly child because like honestly until i read my notes for it again i forgot that this wasn't part of episode one yeah because like it it just dragged its feet there's a lot of standing in rooms talking Mm -hmm. and yeah it's not really until episode three where i'm like oh okay it starts to pick up we meet the dolls and blah 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 Mm -hmm. i really don't have anything else to say other than like the daleks are absolutely hilarious like they're even funnier than i thought they were gonna be so uh i kind of had like shocked laughs in the first part where you know the doctor is being the doctor uh but then that turned into like genuine laughing like a when the geiger counter is just the normal geiger counter <laughs> and then b the daleks and like the first time i heard one talk okay <laughs> uh and they walk in the room and they're basically like seize them <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's funny because the daleks have a very like iconic speech pattern people will be able to pull out their best dalek impression at the drop of a hat and this this episode doesn't have exactly their normal speech pattern, but like it's you can see the seeds of it. Like you can see what it will become later. It does not become less goofy. I can tell you that right now. It is consistently this goofy <laughs> throughout the entire series. I I, I went into this um, episode thinking um, there's an episode of South Park 
where they build a comedy robot mm-hmm. that looks like a Dalek. <laughs> uh, and then it, ha- it has, like, the really high-pitched, like, speech pattern. <laughs> and uh-huh. I-, I thought that was just part of the South Park episode. I was like, there's no way. Like, yeah, like, it kind of looks like a Dalek. They probably took inspiration from that. <laughs> And then I heard one talk. I was like, no, it's literally the exact same thing. <laughs> it's funny because you mentioned this. You kind of touched on it a little bit in the recap. But when they're first um, backed in the corner by the Daleks, Ian tries to escape. And one of the Daleks shoots him and uh, like paralyzes his legs. And I'm fairly certain that's one of the few times in which a Dalek's gun is used in that manner. Because it's almost always a death ray. I think this is like one of the two or three times in the entire series in which someone is shot by a Dalek and it doesn't kill them. Well, that's lucky for Ian, I'd say. (laughs) I'm not like, I don't think it was like against their characters to not kill them. But it wouldn't have surprised me just in the sense of like, you know, they obviously don't want the Thals to be alive. So why would they keep them alive? Other than just learn whether or not they're are more thals yeah i think it was more just a data gathering thing because no one's visited the the town the city in what sounds like centuries so i'd probably have some questions too yeah i agree i liked how (laughs) i mean i say liked but when they're in the prison cell and they're trying to get ian to like be able to walk um because he's still like mostly paralyzed from the from the gunshot because they need to send someone out to go get the drugs and apparently the guy who was recently crippled is a better option because lord knows we can't send any of those women folk i mean what if they have a period or get distracted (laughs) by shopping or something (laughs) listen scaro is a major shopping district of the universe (laughs) It was it was really funny because the because they were trying so hard to get Ian to start walking again and the Dalek that was watching them was just like send the girl like indicating towards Susan like send her so like say what you want about Daleks they may be vicious psychopaths who think of nothing but destruction and death but at least they believe in gender equality because they see no reason to not send Susan <laughs> all genders are equally inferior to Daleks <laughs> exactly And then when Susan is heading back to the TARDIS, (laughs) I think you know what I'm about to talk about. She, she has her second freak out of the story. And then she has some of the most hilarious running I have ever seen in my life. It is arms flailing. It is looking all around. It is just, sobbing and just like (laughs) it was so fucking funny and i loved it i think my favorite parts were like it was like really zoomed in on her face while she was doing it but like her face also wasn't in focus so like it's just kind of the frame is like half her head just like yeah she's like flailing her arms yeah Uh, and there was a part where like she she falls down believe it or not um And she's obviously looking at something that horrifies her. And then it never explains that part again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's there's a moment. I'm not sure how this moment is supposed to read. She gets to the TARDIS. 
She has the drugs in the hand. And it almost seems like it almost seems like she's about to take off without them. Like maybe yeah. I'm reading it completely wrong, but it seems like she's so scared of what's out there that she's about to activate the TARDIS and take off. But then no, because because then because she's just like think she's just like scared and like looking all around her and like looking at the TARDIS console. But then there's like voiceover of different lines that were said earlier in the earlier in the episode. And she's like, I must go back and turns around and leaves the TARDIS. And it just I'm not sure how this was supposed to read, but just for a second, it felt like she was about to leave without the doctor or Ian and Barbara. No, I agree. That's how I read that scene too. Uh, like you could maybe read it as like uh, she was thinking about like resting uh, because the voiceover says straight there and straight back. And that's kind mm. of what she repeats. Mm. But no, I totally read it as like, you know, what any normal sensible person would be, which is fuck everyone else. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> I also thought it was weird how, um, I guess not weird, but I would have done this slightly differently. It just felt like, um, apply your own mask before helping your child type situation because if i were if i were susan i would take one of the anti-radiation drugs before heading back out mm-hmm. no i totally agree like it it's no good to you if you're just if you collapse halfway back to the city that's that seems like the logical step to me but who knows yeah no i was kind of waiting for her to do it i was like take the medicine medicine take the medicine take the medicine susan yeah oh my god what are why you are you not taking take the medicine, medicine. <laughs> yeah i really don't have anything else to say about this episode like i said i forgot it was even its own episode until i read my <laughs> notes again okay then let's move on to episode three episode three this is where i think things start to get kind of interesting uh but here's my summary um i'm gonna try and skip over the jokes i wrote into it <laughs> yeah by all means joke away <laughs> okay so, episode three begins with Susan leaving the TARDIS and encountering a mysterious figure. Oh my god, what is that cape? <laughs> <laughs> the strange figure reveals himself as Aladon and gives Susan more drugs and offers to take her to the edge of the city. Upon returning, the Daleks let Susan heal her friends, hoping they can use her to lead them to the Thals. She then info-dumps about how the Thals have survived, but now they need to find more food and Aladon wants to negotiate with the Daleks. The Daleks plot to use time travel to create the time travelers to create a false sense of security to destroy the Thals once and for all. Cut back to Al- Aladon and the Thals camping around the TARDIS. Oh my god, where are those pants? <laughs> what is that skirt? <laughs> Aladon explains his bizarrely simple plan to gauge whether or not to trust the Daleks, and then it cuts back to Susan writing out their demands in a letter. After, after they have the letter, we cut back to the rest of the travelers as they stage a fight in their cell and pull down the camera the Daleks use to watch them. With the camera down, they plot their escape and how to get around the Daleks. Meanwhile, we cut back to the Thals as they wait for the message from Susan. They are ecstatic when it arrives and informs them to head to the main building the next day. Meanwhile, the group successfully ambush a Dalek and decommission it. After removing the creature inside the machine, Ian disguises himself as a Dalek as Susan attempts to lead the group to freedom. And that's episode three. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I had a lot to say about this one. Um, you definitely touched on it, but the Thals have the most OG Star Trek look about them <laughs> that I've ever seen. Because, like, their cape looks like, makes them look like a bug. They're, 
their vest that they're wearing is like this deep v-neck thing that like also juts out from their shoulders and they're all wearing black tights and it, and it black just tights have holes in them i went back and i went back and looked multiple times i was like is that some weird pattern is it like a diamond thing on it no they're, they're just holes in the sides of the pants why are they like that why is Diani's skirt just like a flap in front of her stomach with holes in it? <laughs> what are these outfits? <laughs> yeah, no, the, it was it was clearly an attempt to try and make it look alien, but that didn't make it look less stupid. <laughs> it, I mean, like, I think it kind of falls into like uh, this age of science fiction because you yeah. get like book covers of science fiction books at this time like isaac mm-hmm. asimov's and stuff they were all weird like that and everyone yeah. has white hair for some reason yeah weirdly Aryan. yeah that's something that i kind of wanted to bring up because it's not something that that occurred to me until like yesterday or so so all the thals you're right because the thals look Aryan. like honestly they had they all look pretty much exactly the same they have chiseled jaws they're ripped as hell they have blonde hair i'm assuming blue eyes and they all look very similar i'm almost wondering if that was super intentional to have all the thals look exactly the same because all of the daleks look exactly the same i don't know if there's anything there but it's something that I noticed, and I don't know if it's true. Well, I mean, like, there was definitely an intention to make them look the same, right? Um, beyond just, like, their goofy outfits. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the choice to have them all be kind of, like, blonde or silver-haired is very intentional. And, like, yeah, it's probably just some, like, lazy uh, way of being, like, they're they're just different people. Or lazy in the sense of, like, it's just a easy visual metaphor. You know what I mean? Yeah. Caleb, I have a very important question for you. Yes, Diani is extremely hot. She, she is hot but oh was that actually not the question i 100 it, it, it was it was not the question actually <laughs> <laughs> so when they're prisoner and they're in the cell the daleks bring them food and water okay when the daleks are trying to communicate with the thals they say that they have food that the thals can can come and get okay here's my question why do the Daleks have food? Well, I mean, they, they've got their, like, big robot suit things, but they're still, like, creatures inside, as gets revealed later in this episode. Yeah, I guess. It's just that we also learn later in the story that they mostly survive on radiation? Yeah, it, I, I'm not saying it's not a plot whole thing, because their physiology is so different. Why would they eat the exact same thing as the Thals? Yeah. Also, th- this is getting a bit ahead of ourselves. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll wait until we get to the part about the radiation thing. I have opinions about that. Okay, so do I. But yeah, but I I think overall this episode is more interesting. I, I liked meeting the Thals more than I liked meeting the cavemen. Yeah. There seem to be the inklings of an intern of a moral conflict between being pacifist and wanting peace and like making peace with a race that was clearly hostile in the past. Mm-hmm. But Aladon, again, continues to thread of like really extreme and bizarre not a leap of logic but like his plan has obvious flaws to it the falls are stupid (laughs) like i'm sorry just in general like one of my notes is just the falls are stupid (laughs) (laughs) 
Exactly. When, when like, Aladdin's whole plan is we'll send Susan back to the city. And if we get a letter back saying to come in and her name is on it, we'll know the Daleks mean peace. What? What the fuck are you talking about? What the fuck are you talking about? Also, on the note of the note, did you look closely at the note that Susan wrote? Uh, I I mean, I tried to, but like, it just looked like scribbling to me. Yeah, I, it looked like the writing of a three-year-old. Just And then, like, she just had scribbles, and then my favorite part, she wrote Susan in big letters <laughs> that takes up, like, a solid third of the sheet of paper. And I'm like, very good, Susan. You spelled your own name. We're good putting this up job. on the fridge. <laughs> that way everyone can see it. It was just so funny. I think it's not nearly as funny as the way Daleks pick up things. Oh, just like sticking it with their with their plunger. With the big plunger arms. <laughs> and they hand each other with like plunger high fives. <laughs> Later in the episode, they plan the ambush with the Dalek, and they um, disable him, and they open him up, and they take the creature that's inside out, and then Ian climbs into the Dalek to, like, so that he can disguise himself as a Dalek. If I wasn't 100% convinced Susan would absolutely screw it up. I would suggest she be the one to go inside the Dalek, since she's the smallest and would be able to fit the easiest. That is the obvious thing I thought, too. I was like, yeah, it's not that I don't think Ian couldn't fit into it because it's a big thing, but why can he fit into it? Like, the Dalek is obviously like a very tiny little lizard-looking creature. Yeah, the, uh, the Dalek is definitely, is definitely a very small creature, so so why so why can Ian fit into it literally at all? There should not be enough space for a full-grown human male to be able to fit in there. <laughs> and the way and the way they get around it is Ian's like, well, I don't have a lot of room for my legs, but it should be fine. <laughs> why do you have any room for your legs at all? That's my question. <laughs> but okay, fine, I'll accept it. I've accepted the Geiger counter at this point. So <laughs> their plan, you know, Ian is in the is in the Dalek, but he can't. He can't control it like he hasn't made sense of the of the controls yet. So Susan and Barbara are going to be in front of him to like be like, OK, they're my prisoners. We're taking them somewhere else. That part I get the part where the doctor is behind him and pushing him along the floor. That's where I feel like you're just going to be shot on sight. <laughs> <laughs> because no no one of your prisoners being behind you and pushing you that won't look suspicious at all not at all um the the next part i have to jump off of that is like officially into episode four so should i just read the description yeah go ahead and go episode four begins with the group continuing their escape after successfully getting past one dalek and onto the lift the ruse is found out, and Ian is trapped inside the Dalek machine, and the group is forced to leave him behind as they escape. Ian is able to escape and make his way back to the group just before the Daleks get through the metal door blocking them. Once they realize the Thals are walking into a trap, Ian decides to stay behind and try to warn them while the others return to the TARDIS. After waiting an egregiously long time to warn them, Ian averts the ambush, but not in time to stop the leader of the Thals from being killed. Ian returns with the Thals, and they all make camp near the TARDIS. The Doctor talks science stuff with Diani as he tries to make out their position in space. 
When they discuss how to deal with the Daleks, the Thals scoff at the idea of fighting them. The episode ends with them finally being on the same page, but it doesn't matter because the Daleks took the thingamajig the Doctor lied about needing to fix. End episode 4. Near the beginning, because they're, they're on the other side and the Daleks are trying to break through, I thought it was really funny and almost kind of cute that the Daleks, like, I guess, screwed off with a plunger arm and replaced it with a soldering iron attachment, and he's using it to, like, burn through the door. <laughs> I thought it was kind it was strangely adorable of just, like, picturing the Daleks, like, taking off the plunger and putting on a different attachment, and I'm just curious as to, like, other attachments they have. Like, they clearly have food. Do they have, like, a whisk arm? Or... <laughs> I'm going to see the chef, Dalek. <laughs> yes. <laughs> my my first criticism comes at the very beginning of the episode. Mm-hmm. When they get to the lift and the Dalek is like, the prisoners are not meant to do whatever. And Susan's solution is to just freak out. And then the Dalek just helps them anyway. <laughs> Why didn't that Dalek just paralyze Susan? Don't know. Why didn't I, he just shoot her? <laughs> I, I don't. I don't know, Caleb. I don't know why he didn't. Because <laughs> I had the exact same thought. I'm like, just shoot to them. <laughs> and they're so the Daleks are on the other side of the door. They're burning through, and then they they say the line, "They ought to be exterminated." And I had the I had the note of say. That word sounds good. I think I will repeat it ad nauseum for the next 60 years. Because exterminate, exterminate, exterminate. exterminate. That's like their catchphrase, basically, is just yelling exterminate. And I just noticed this was the very first time they used the word exterminate. And I'm like, oh, so this is where it begins. (laughs) Other note on that is like when they're trying to get Ian out. Um, and the Dalek lid won't open. Mm-hmm. The doctor has a line of like, well, they've magnetized the floors. Can't you feel it? And I was like, are you like Magneto now? <laughs> How do you feel it, doctor? Are you wearing metal shoes? <laughs> Again, there's just so many like funny lines like that. <laughs> where yeah. I'm like, what? What? So they, so they get up the lift and they're trying to figure out how to get out and they're panicking because now the Daleks are coming up the lift. So their attempt to stop them is there's like this modern art statue just hanging out in the middle of the room that they that they then push down the elevator shaft and it like crushes that elevator. And I'm like, are there Dalek artists? Did they create that statue as just an expression of their inner turmoil being stuck in this metal case? Or was that not a statue and like something else i was kind of confused as to what it was because the idea of dalek art is kind of fascinating to me and i feel like i'm the i'm thinking about this more than the writers did i feel i feel like uh yeah i think we're definitely thinking about more than the writers did at this point uh as i go into this tangent I feel like from everything I kind of gather about the Daleks and just life on Skaro is technology and civilization hasn't advanced at all. The Daleks aren't more advanced than they were during the Neutronic Wars. So presumably when they were at least not little lizard people, uh, they were, um, Mm. they probably were artists. They built the buildings, didn't they? So So I feel like that's probably like a relic of their past. And it's just something they drive by and don't even think about anymore. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I like, I like that explanation that it's, it's art from the before times. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. 
I like that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it makes sense to me because like it kind of just a little bit fits in with like the weird aesthetic of the city. Yeah. And at least I got the impression that everything has been in stasis at this point. So, mm-hmm. so they, they get back to the TARDIS and thus the falls and the, the doctor says the funniest goddamn thing he's ever said in his life, which is we can't get involved in situations that have nothing to do with us. Again, the doctor then proceeds to get involved in situations that has nothing to do with him for the next 60 years. <laughs> it's like the doctor was trying to stop the show from happening. <laughs> I know, right? How did he become the main character? I don't understand. <laughs> and then I loved the scene where the Thals go down to the city and the Daleks just like have a big table that's presumably it has just like a whole bunch of food on it and also what appears to be just rolls of toilet paper (laughs) like i feel like they were trying to make alien food and they're like yeah this looks vaguely alien so they just like stacked some toilet paper or maybe it is actual toilet paper because i can't imagine the thals have a whole lot of that (laughs) (laughs) well it's probably if they did they cut it out of their shirts There you go. On this note, common theme so far, Diani was way underused. And not just Mm. because she was insanely attractive. (laughs) Mackin is my wife, so he'll know that I have a type. So, Yeah, yeah, you do. (laughs) (laughs) But no, she was, beyond that, she was actually interesting. She was obviously very intelligent. She seemed to have some sort of relationship with Aladon, and it just did not get explored, even remotely. Not even a little bit. I I was thinking the same thing. Because there's like three or four Thals that are named, and she's one of them. And she doesn't do anything. She's like the Smurfette of the Thals. She's like what seems to be the one girl. I'm not sure if there were others. There might have been in the background. There were some in the background, yeah. Okay. But she was the only one that did even remotely anything. Okay. Re-talking. <laughs> yeah, because I, I completely agree. Because she clearly was about to be something. Because there was like a Aladon is might be in love with her they might be engaged because of the cultures because of the culture of their tribe there's something and you're right they never go into it at all yeah and while this episode while this whole story does better with like lore building and like kind of tying everything together this is one of those loose ends I would have liked to see a bit more of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we are getting a little bit ahead of ourselves because we have to talk about Ian stopping the ambush. Yes. Or, as I would properly phrase it, Ian not stopping the ambush. <laughs> yeah, he claims that he was uh, checking, like, checking to make sure that the Daleks weren't going to offer peace. But come on, buddy. You know the Daleks at this point. You should know that they're not going to. You went down here because you knew it was an ambush. (laughs) Yeah, they even say they're walking into an ambush. Yeah. So why does he just sit there and watch? Why does he wait for the Daleks to come out? Oh, it's so frustrating. Yeah. On the note of the ambush, can I just take a moment to say the Daleks plan is really dumb. It's almost as dumb as the Thal's plan. Not quite. But close. Because why did they kill the Thals that came to them now? What they should have done was incur, like, here is some food. We have more. Bring your people here. And encourage the Thals 
let them have their bring their guard down more importantly have them bring all of their people into the city and then just massacre all of them at once now they've killed a couple of them but that's it they can't leave the city because they're like they are powered by static electricity on the on the floors so they can't leave the city so what's their what's their next plan at this current moment in time, I know they come up with a plan later, but at this current moment in time, they're like, We have killed the Thals. Now we shall wait for more Thals to come, and we will kill them as well. It doesn't make sense to kill them now. And it especially doesn't make sense because the Daleks have already shown that they have been thinking ahead. <laughs> and they kind of have made a plot by like using Susan to manipulate the trust of the Thals. Yeah. So why wouldn't they just keep doing that yeah why not take it to its logical extreme and like really gain the really gain the trust of the falls i don't know i mean the obvious answer is because if they kill all the falls the episode's over but still on this note we gotta talk about the thaw leader like theomis or something like that i don't know man i'm gonna be perfectly honest (laughs) i did not write i wrote down um aladon's name and then one other person's name at the end and I could not remember the name of any of the other Thals after that. Yeah, I watched it with subtitles on. That's why the only reason I even remotely know anyone's name. Yeah, I think I watched it with subtitles too. I just, they they all look exactly the same. I couldn't, I didn't know which one was, I couldn't keep them track straight in my head. Well, this is the Aryan guy with the crown. Right. <laughs> he is like weirdly resigned to whatever his fate is. Yeah. Because there's a moment, I, it, it was either this episode or the last episode, when he's talking, Aladon tries to talk to him. He's like, do you think the Daleks will really help us? And he's he's honestly just like, honestly, our fate is with the Daleks one way or another. They'll help us or they'll exterminate us, basically. <laughs> and we just gotta accept whatever that answer is. Yeah. And that was... <laughs> weirdly hippie it's some it's something that that's kind of the thal's whole thing they're like passive to a fault they which is the exact opposite of the daleks i i i get it it it's a poem because it rhymes but it's that's what i mean by the thals are stupid there's there's being passive and then there's being doormats and i don't know how they've survived on this harsh environment of a planet for centuries being so make love not war well if they haven't had anyone else to have war with because like they've been on like a plateau or something the whole time yeah but they do live they still live on scaro they've still had to they couldn't have survived entirely on that plateau there despite the fact that there is that creature made of metal at the very beginning there is other wildlife seen on scaro like later in the later in the um in the story so I'm just curious how it is they've managed to survive while just avoiding any and all conflict in this environment. Well, Mac, they had to over the episode when it continued. <laughs> I guess. We want to have half the episodes in this arc. That's true. <laughs> I don't know. Um, like I Maybe they kind of like developed into being pacifists because it talks about how the Thals used to be like a warrior race. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I imagine probably just like phased out over time because presumably if they're on the plateau or plateau, it's safe, right? Um, but I don't know. I don't know anything. But yeah, that's I. I don't think I have any more notes about episode four. Uh, let me see here. Um, <laughs> it was just the. Uh, I just I couldn't get over like how like willing he was to just accept whatever his fate was. Yeah. I mean, it, it makes sense down the line, I guess. But it was just, it was just weird to listen to. 
But uh, I finally felt like at the very end of this episode, all the time travelers are on the same page. And they're like, hey, whatever's going on between the Daleks and the Thals, that is 100% their problem. It's time to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. Okay, good. Finally, everyone agrees on something. And then Ian's like, whoopsies, the Daleks have the Mercury, whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that is true. They were all on the same page of wanting to get out. But Ian was trying to encourage the Thals, hey, you need to fight a, fight back against the Daleks. And the Thals were like, nah, nah, fam, we're not, we're not like that. And so this proved to not be true. But there was a part of me that was kind of convinced that Ian left the Mercury Coil or whatever it was in the city on purpose for the exact same, like pulling the exact same stunt the Doctor did. Ian was like, okay, I guess we'll leave these guys to their own devices. Oops, we can't leave yet. Guess we need their help. That's what I thought it was. It turned out to not be that, but I thought it would have been really, really funny if if the, if the Ian just made the exact same move that the doctor did. Yeah, it would have it would have been pretty funny, but also like it would have actually been a nice foil to their characters because yeah. I, I feel like at this point, like, Ian and the Doctor are becoming two sides of the same coin. Yeah. Or Ian is just, like, becoming a younger version of the Doctor. Yeah. So I, I almost wish that he'd done it on purpose. Right. Granted, like, how would he have known, right? So... I mean, he wouldn't have, but the last time he was... Last time he was in the city was during the ambush, and he saw that the Thals were such a pushover and that the Daleks were willing to kill them. So, like, during that moment, he could have been like, oops, dropped it. But that is not how it went, and can't really... Mourn something that never existed. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, uh, episode five. Episode five. The next episode begins with Ian failing to convince the Thals to fight for them. The Doctor is convinced that he can lead the Thals to victory, but Ian does not believe they will fight f- just for the Travelers. Ian convinces them that they are not pacifists by being a total dick. And then we cut to the Dalek losing control of its machine. They appear to be having a negative reaction to the anti-radiation drug they stole from the group. They realize they need radiation to survive, and consider setting off another neutron bomb. The Thals agree to help the time travelers, and they split into two groups. One group goes to distract the Daleks, while the others split off to sneak into the city through the swamp. Oh god, they brought, they brought Barbara. <laughs> Once in the swamp, the group and their companions encounter strange creatures and discover a series of pipes going into the lake. The episode ends with one of the Thals screaming as something mysterious emerges from the lake. Yeah, so this episode, this is the episode that I watched that was when I texted you, you will definitely have things to say about the Daleks. (laughs) Because the Thals are so peace-loving and absolutely no war whatsoever. But the, the Travelers were somehow, they almost seemed like bloodthirsty in a way. Like, we're British. We've been through this before. We need to go to war. <laughs> and, <laughs> and they were all just very gung-ho about, yes, we need we need this Thal army to attack the Daleks. And the Doctor, Barbara, and Susan were all, why aren't they fighting for us? But Ian is the only one out of the entire group that's like, because they have no reason to. They don't know us. Why would they fight for us? Mm-hmm. And then Aladon punching, punching Ian because Ian like took the girl, whose name I totally remember. He punches Ian, and then suddenly he's super on board with this whole war thing, 
As he punches Ian, he's like, oh, man, is that what I've been missing? Oh, man, I want to punch more things now. Yeah. It, uh, again, this is another example of the show just has extreme leaps of logic. Mm-hmm. Um, also considering that, like, before he tries to kidnap the girl and take him to the Daleks, his basic argument is, like, well, you got to genocide them before they genocide you. Yeah. <laughs> Which is totally British. <laughs> It's called a preemptive strike, guys. Look it up. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, that was literally what he was arguing for. Um, and it was just wild because, like, I was still on the side of the thalls. So, like, well, at least uh, to a certain extent, I'm like, hey, they can't come out here. They can't bother us. Like, who cares? Yeah. Just let them let them rot in their city. This is when it's really obvious that they only had four Daleks to use. Um, because in the scene where they realize that the anti-radiation drug is poison to them. It looks like there's a lot more than four Daleks in the room. But if you look closely (laughs) in the background, it's just 2D cutouts. (laughs) It's just 2D pictures that they put in the background to look like more Daleks. But there's only the four that are actually moving around in the scene. <laughs> That's pretty hilarious, actually. That's kind of hilarious. Genius and hilarious. Speaking of the Daleks, here's my, hmm, this is my major what moment of the Daleks. Why are they just now realizing they need radiation to survive? Yeah, that was what? that was a big thing for me, too. It was like, it'd be like in the year 2021 the year in which we're recording this, we just now figured out that we need air to breathe. And we figured that out, and we figured that out by lighting ourselves on fire and being like, well, that didn't work. It must be the air around us. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know. <laughs> it's, just, it's just one of those moments. It's like, what? And then obviously they have the most extreme reaction to that ever. We must build a neutron bomb. <laughs> yeah, it was... It's it's weird because like on the one hand, it's really bad that this is their go to strategy. On the other hand, I all I again, this is going to sound really bad. I kind of respect the perspective of if we can't adapt to our environment, we'll change the environment to adapt to us. I don't know why, but I kind of like that because what's established is that the radiation levels have started going down and the Daleks are panicking because it means that they'll eventually die. And I kind I don't know. There's something I like about if we can't adapt to the environment, we'll make the ad- environment adapt to us. No, I actually really like that too because I mean, at least like that's what I would do. I'm like, hey, like, yeah, I'll just make it work for you. <laughs> um,. It's just that, like, doing the neutron bomb is such an extreme and obviously complicated solution. Especially when they come up with, like, an easier solution later. (laughs) And it's kind of difficult for me to fully get behind that mentality. Because I'm also picturing just, like, the six um, ultra-trillionaires who are like, Yeah! Fuck the environment! I'm glad you agree! (laughs) Like, no, that's not not what I said. (laughs) (laughs) On this note... The fact that, like, their first solution is building a neutron bomb makes me think that it wasn't a war. The Neutrionic War sounds way more like a Neutrionic genocide. <laughs> <laughs> okay, real real talk. In New Who, there is a line that is said by a Dalek that is, if I were to make a list of my top ten favorite lines said in all of Doctor Who, 
that would be one of them. And I kind of want to say it right now, but I also don't want to spoil it for you. Oh, man. But you're, you're going to make me wait, like, what? Like, at least seven years? I'm either going to let you wait for seven years, or I, I'm i asking you, is it okay for me to say this line? Uh, just say it, because I'll probably forget in seven years. Okay. Because there is, there's a moment where the Daleks um, are talking with these other aliens that you would have absolutely no idea who they are and they said you would go to these other aliens say you would go to war with us and the daleks say the most badass thing ever they say this is not war this is pest control and i'm like that's awesome (laughs) and i kind of agree i think that's kind of how the neutrionic war was it was less a war between the daleks and the thals and more just the Daleks being like, hmm, don't like that. Let's get rid of it. <laughs> well, I'm glad that we, and presumably the Daleks, are on the absolute same page. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, the swamp expedition, shall we? The swamp. Uh, the, when I first saw the group, I was like, yeah, okay, Ian's here. I, I expected Ian to be part of it. And then I saw Barbara walk on the screen. I was just like, why? Why? <laughs> Yeah, I think even when the Thals asks Ian, why the hell is she here? And he's like, I wouldn't have been able to keep her away even if I tried. And I'm like, but Ian, you've done that so many times already. And it's only the second story. It's, I don't think you would have had a whole lot of issues (laughs) telling Barbara to sit the fuck down. Now, I want to complain about having, you know, a strong female character. The problem is like... Barbara is like such a stereotype, stereotypically weak woman in the story. Like it just doesn't make any logical sense. Yeah, that's 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 definitely something that should be clarified. We don't have a problem with a woman being part of the group. We have a problem with Barbara being part of the group. Because <laughs> even if it was Susan up and like, uh, all right, I mean, I guess she's gonna go into hysterics at some point. But yeah, she's she's smart. She probably knows her way around. But Barbara. <laughs> Why wasn't Barbara at the camp? Barbara Barbara really manages to flex her muscles anytime they go back into Earth's history. Because she's a history teacher, she knows she knows shit. Anytime it's not in that type of environment, she kind of doesn't have anything to do. And yeah. it's it's kind of it's kind of rough. Like it um not the next episode, but the episode after that is dealing with um human history and I think it's been a long time, but I feel like that's the first episode where Barbara shines so to speak on the note of their little adventuring band the thals with ian and barbara like out of earshot the thals mentioned that they had gone into this swamp before and that they lost most of their expedition only one of them returned because of these ferocious monsters that are in there in the swamp and they didn't tell ian and barbara because they didn't want them to be scared my dude, tell Ian and Barbara they need to know what they're in for before they go into the swamp and are taken completely by the surprise by the thing that wiped out your group last time. Yeah. That was something that really bugged me. I was like, why didn't the Thals warn Ian and Barbara? Yeah, I, I'm not gonna lie. Like, when I heard that line and just, like, some other interactions, I was actually totally expecting one of the Thals to betray them. <laughs> kind of, yeah. There's even one of the Thals that 
definitely seems like a squealer, you know? Yeah, and like he, yeah, like, and that's what I thought was building up to. And then obviously it didn't happen because like I don't feel like <laughs> the show finishes half the things it implies. Yeah. Um, but that's how I took it up until it didn't happen. It's like uh, I was just waiting for some sort of betrayal, not necessarily like selling them out to the dogs, but I don't know, trying to murder them or abandon them at least. Yeah. So at the very end of this episode, one of the Thals goes and like refills the water skins. He goes over to the lake and starts refilling the water skins. And that's when he gets attacked by the monster. That water is radiated as hell. That cannot be safe to drink. I don't care how many anti-radiation drugs you've, you've taken. There is no way in hell that water is safe to drink. Yeah, I thought that too. <laughs> Especially, like, even if it wasn't irradiated, it's swamp water. Isn't it, like, disease-ridden or something? Yeah, I also had a similar thought in episode two. I think it was episode two. They're obviously suffering from radiation poisoning and they're in the cells and they're really, really hot. And like the most that happens is like Ian undoes his tie. And I'm like, I know, I know you're from 1963. I know you're prudish as hell. But like, you know, at this point that you're suffering from radiation poisoning. It's okay to like take off a couple of layers because Ian, you're wearing a vest. Barbara, you're wearing a jacket for fuck's sake. And... Let's face it, when you get back to the TARDIS, you're going to have to burn all these clothes anyway, because they're also radiated as hell. <laughs> Just take the sweater off, Ian. But do it slowly. But do it slowly. Yes, <laughs> that's it. <laughs> Even funnier if it comes from a Dalek. <laughs> take off the sweater. Slowly. slowly. <laughs> I'm, glad we, I'm glad we did that like the same cadence, like the same like drawn out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so do you have any other thoughts about that episode? No, this episode and the next episode I feel like should have been one. So, because yes. like, it's super drawn out. Yeah. On that note, episode six. This episode begins with both groups preparing to head into the city. Meanwhile, the dogs are trying to build a neutron bomb to increase the radiation on the planet. However, it will take too long and they decide to forge another plan. The Swamp Group make their way through the tunnels as they try and find a way into the city. One of the Thals and Barbara find a passageway and decide to crawl through it, and they, dis they discover more tunnels on the other side. Meanwhile, the Doctor and Susan make their way into the city and sabotage some mach machines, only to be captured by the Daleks. They then learn that the Daleks plan to flood radiation from their reactors outside, killing the Thals and, Thals and making the perfect environment for themselves. After an obscenely long time getting everyone across a gap in the caves, one of them misses the jump, leaving Ian clinging dearly to the rock face for both of their lives. So there's a couple of things that I noticed in this episode that are funny and sometimes stupid. The first one is there's the group that's outside the city and they're talking about how they don't know a way in. They can't figure out a way into the city. And I'm like, how do you not know a way into the city? Literally every single person part of this conversation has been in the city before. <laughs> Just go in the way you were in before. I don't understand. And then there was there was a moment that, again, wasn't supposed to be funny, but it was really funny, where Susan and I think it was I think it was Aladon 
we're like behind a rock and we're like spying on the Dalek city. And the doctor is just like standing up and also spying on the, the city. And Susan at the top of her lungs shouts, grandfather, get down because she's worried that he'll draw attention to them. And it was just so funny <laughs> that she shouts out loud to a man who was right next to her, telling him that they're that he'll draw attention to her. If you're trying to be stealthy, don't keep it like turn it down a couple notches, just a couple. You, and not everything has to be a freak out, Susan. This is why Susan should have gone to the swamp. <laughs> yes, <laughs> she would have been great bait for the swamp monsters. I think this is getting a bit ahead, and I'm going to circle back to something I thought was funny. But um, they get captured so easily. <laughs> they 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 do their little thing, breaking the glass and uh, destroying the machines, and they even send Aladon off. They're like, "Don't worry, we'll be fine. We won't get caught." And then they literally get done. They turn around, and they're surrounded. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I thought that was funny. It was funny, especially when you think back to a couple episodes ago. I think it was like episode four or something. The Daleks very specifically said they don't need them as prisoners anymore. Shoot them on sight. <laughs> oh, yeah. Because uh, that was something I thought, too. Is like, why didn't they kill them? Why did why did you not kill them? And that's something that's something that you're going to learn about in regards to the Daleks. For a race that takes no prisoners, they take a lot of prisoners. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing I was going to say that like wasn't necessarily supposed to be funny. But at the very, very beginning of the episode, when they're like, when they hear the guy screaming as he's being dragged into the lake by whatever is in there. The one that kind of like freaks out about him, his friend dying, he crouches down the ground at one point. And I don't know if he's playing with like a thread on his shirt or what, but I swear to God, I thought he dropped a tiny shoe while he was talking. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know why, but it just cracked me up. It was just something about the framing. Right? It just looked like he was dying his shoe while he was crying about his friend. Which is 100% how I would react. Yeah. I don't have a whole lot of notes for this episode. Because out of all of the episodes in this story, this is the one that just dragged the fuck on. No, I agree. I thought it was longer than all the other episodes. And it is like a minute. And you could feel it. You could feel it. Because just so much of the episode was, let's go over in this direction. Ah, darn, we can't go in this direction. Well, let's circle back and try in the other one of the other directions. Ah, blast, we can't go this direction either. Wait, do you feel that? I, I think, I think I feel a breeze. I, yes, I think I feel, it must be coming from this direction. Let's go, like, it was just, it was so boring. <laughs> Not to mention that we watched every single person jump over the cave gap. Yes. They found a direction they want to go, and it was like a large crevasse, and you could you could have skipped a couple, like just just a couple, and they didn't. They showed every single one of them, and all of them worked perfectly fine, except for Barbara. Again, god damn it, Barb! She is so rock stupid. She cannot shimmy along a wall correctly, because 
she like has her back to the wall and she's like having difficulty getting steps and like can't go around the corner without almost falling. And then Ian has to be like, no, 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 you do it like this and like turn her around so that she can grab onto the rocks and so she can turn around. I'm like, Barbara, come on. Are you really so rock stupid? You can't shimmy along a wall. Really? <laughs> yeah. Um, and the fact that we had to watch the whole thing. We watched the whole ordeal. The whole thing, oh, wait, Caleb. That's the name of the episode. It was the ordeal watching Barbara shimmy across the rock. Yeah. <laughs> because it was for me. But yeah, no, I agree. Like, this episode and last episode should have been one because uh, it is just slow. And the show has already established that it's okay with, like, things happening and the characters just explain that they did something. Yeah. And I don't know why they thought it was necessary to watch everyone jump over the rock. Uh, and then, like, the last guy, I'm not sure how he fell because it cut really quickly. But it looked like he made it over to Ian and was, like, clear of the ledge and then kicked off the wall <laughs> and fell yeah. anyway. Yeah. So... It was weird. And the guy obviously just wanted to kill himself anyway, so I don't know why he didn't just do that. Yeah, because th this was the character that we mentioned earlier who was like, I think his name is uh, Antotis? Antotis? Yeah, it's something like, like Antotis or Antotis or something like that. Yeah, um, and he was like, this is a bug hunt, man! A bug hunt! And just like wanted to bail the fuck out, but couldn't. Like, they were like, no, you gotta stay with us. And then he actually did try to leave, but then the tunnel collapsed, and so he was just, he was very clearly not wanting to be there the entire time. Yeah. Uh, and I'm, then, uh, I'm not yeah. sure for what purpose that was, because we spent a good couple of minutes of Antidus freaking out and wanting to leave. I'm like, did that, did that accomplish anything? If we cut the scenes with Antidus, what would have changed? We wouldn't have a cliffhanger at the end of this episode. I don't, I don't know. That's why I thought, because like, since they'd spent like at this point, literal multiple episodes building up and Tadis's doubt about the mission yeah. that there was going to be some sort of like betrayal where he yeah. would, like, I don't know, try and kill Ian or something. That's what I would have done. Some sort of payoff. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't. Instead, we got him uh, doing the cliffhanger and falling down the thing. And then he just kills himself anyway. Yeah. Cause he's, you know, he's, hanging from the rope and so he cuts the rope and then he falls it would have been much better if one of the thals had to cut him loose as opposed to him cutting himself loose but we're getting ahead of ourselves yeah that's that's the next episode i in the last in the last episode of our podcast i mentioned that classic who sometimes likes to take its time and it is a slower paced show and i still stand by that but i think there's also a difference between being slow paced and dragging the fuck on. Mm -hmm. And this one dragged the fuck on. Because mm -hmm. you can have a slow story and like have intentional beats that just move slowly. And then just like basically non-content. Yeah. All right. So shall I read episode seven? Yep. Let's go. Uh, episode seven. When it becomes clear they cannot pull themselves up, Antatus cuts himself loose and falls to his death. Unfortunately, there doesn't appear to be a way through the cave, but they discover a light source when they turn off their flashlight and make their way out through a small opening in the ceiling and into the Dalek city. Meanwhile, the doctor tries to negotiate his and Susan's freedom in exchange for showing the Daleks the TARDIS, but the ploy fails. With the Thals and the Travelers in the Dalek city, they desperately look for the control room to find the doctor and Susan. 
After sneaking through and losing many thals, they finally cut off the Daleks' power and stopped them from spreading the radiation. They're weirdly okay with the genocide of the Daleks. Back at the TARDIS, the Doctor refuses to help the Thals rebuild, and everything seems at peace. Everyone says their goodbyes, and the Travelers disappear in the TARDIS, but the struggles are not through yet. Boom. Boom. So my first note is that when Antidus cuts the rope and he falls, there's clearly a splash. Like, he clearly lands in water. Like, he might have survived, but we definitely shouldn't go back and check, because fuck that guy. Yeah, I thought that too. I was like, you know, they heard the splash. Couldn't they just call down and see if he's okay? And if he didn't respond, like, okay, well, now he's dead. But no, fuck that guy. He was, he slowed down the last couple of episodes so much. (laughs) And when the, his brother is complaining about it, basically, he's like, you know, he's like, my brother didn't want to come and now he's dead. And I was like, and Ian's just like, yeah, but if we go back, he died for no reason. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just, I don't know hilarious and relentlessly cruel <laughs> yeah so the daleks have the plan of like what what is their plan their backup their plan is like they're gonna flush the radiation that's like housed in like their nuclear reactors just out into the air from what i understood and it would be such a massive influx of radiation it would presumably just kill the thals instantly yeah so that is that is their plan and they start how long is the countdown caleb it's 60 yeah, it starts at 60. It's at least two or three minutes because like they're like 60. 59. 59. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, no, your your pacing was, was more accurate. 60. 59. 58. It's super slow. And we again, we listen to every single. We listen to every single number. And it's the slowest countdown ever. On the one hand, this is clearly the like the climax because this is when uh, Ian's group gets into the city and they shut everything down, and like the fight between the Thals and the Daleks is happening as the countdown is happening. But like, what we go through the entire countdown, Caleb? <laughs> the entire <laughs> go thing. The entire countdown. In this, it's like, so bizarre. S- slow ass like Dalek beat. <laughs> And what I thought was a a directing choice, I guess, was the fact that the entire countdown and the climax with the Daleks and the Thals happens with one continuous shot. And that one continuous shot is the camera spinning around on its axis, just like catching everything. And like it is, I almost got dizzy. Like the camera was just going around in circles and i was just like this is the weirdest fucking cinematography i've ever seen no 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 i i agree because like it did make me dizzy maybe it's because i watch on my ipad it's like five inches from my face but like it was so hard to focus on anything like cameras weren't developed enough at that time where you could even see what was happening not without like making your eyeballs bleed (laughs) but yeah i agree and it was weird and like the choreography was like really dumb it was really dumb because i mean how how are they supposed to do it? Like, they're fighting trash cans. Because you also see at certain points, the like the Thals are like standing in front of the Daleks, and, like they're like working on their little arm things, and I'm like, just shoot them, just shoot them, just shoot, just shoot them, just shoot them. And like some of them did get shot, but I feel like all of them could have gotten shot. It's like when you know how in some movies where they're trying to show this person like 
wrestling with a snake. And it's clearly just like the actor holding on to this fake snake. And he's like, ah, ah, and like struggling while like pretending to wrestle with the snake. That's what it felt like watching this fight was. Because the Daleks can't do anything action-y. So it relies entirely on the Thals pretending like they're wrestling with these trash cans. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. It was just, I don't know. It was weird. And I I almost agree with you in the sense of I liked the climax of an unearthly child more in the, as in the sense of like it relied more on like wits and like outsmarting the situation. Whereas like this was supposed to be a big battle, but how are you going to battle trash cans? Yeah, this was supposed to be a big battle, but as we've established, they only had four working Daleks to work with. So it couldn't be that big of a battle. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. It was weird. I mean, it's not weird, but it was surprising to me how at least the Thals were okay with like basically wiping out the Dalek race. Because once they turn off the power and everything, uh, the lead Dalek is like, turning off the power is the end of the Dalek race. And the doctor was like, well, even if I knew how to fix it, I don't think I would. Yeah. It was, it was cold. <laughs> well, I 100% expected from the doctor, but the Thals were just like, well, this is the way it's got to be, I guess. Yeah, he was very much like, oh, well, sorry about you. And then just like the, the Dalek is like screaming and then like his eye stalk is like raising up and then he just stops and he's just like frozen. And then that's the end of the Daleks. And we'll never see them again. Never see them again. I'm super excited to see how the show writes them back in. I I don't remember. I think I think I know what the next episode is that stars the Daleks, but I don't remember what their logic is. Because I'm pretty sure that the TARDIS crew is just as surprised to see them as you would be. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, it won't be that hard. Like, you know, they just come from a time before the Doctor genocided them. Yeah. Does genocide even exist in time travel? Hard to say, because if you just like go back a couple years, oh, look, there they are. Yeah, they successfully defeat the Daleks, and then they go off. It looks like Barbara is almost about to stay, because she's clearly about to get it on with that one. Yeah, that one that like thaw. she's been kind of standing by, but like they don't really ever have lines together. But I guess they had a thing. I don't know. <laughs> Again, another one of those things that was absolutely not explored. Yeah, he kissed, he kissed her hand at the very least. And then he said the thing. I was like, I won't be sad, but I'll never forget her. I was like, I don't even remember you two being like, did you guys have a moment that I missed? They they did. Like, they did have a couple of moments. I I liked at, um at the end of this episode. They're like, OK, we're headed home. The doctor presses the go button. And then it just feels, I think, like. The TARDIS basically, like, crashes. Yeah, it, like, rumbles and everything goes dark. And I think that's a really cool cliffhanger for the next story. Because I don't know about you, I'm interested to see what happened next. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I want to know. But yeah, but, like, this episode, again, like, really, the last three episodes probably could have been one. And we would have missed nothing. So I guess we're uh, into final thoughts. Mm -hmm. I think... It's frustrating to have this episode, that's se- this story that's seven episodes long, and it drags in so many places and doesn't follow up on a lot of the plot lines. Mm-hmm. Because in in the in the space, like if you were if you had to have it at seven episodes, you could have filled it with more stuff that you set up. Mm-hmm. And instead of spending 
literal minutes like of watching people jump over cave gaps we could have gotten that moment that established barbara with that one guy we could have gotten more on diani uh we could have gotten a lot of things and we just didn't get them because the episode focused on a bunch of nonsense yeah overall this is like a massive improvement over an unearthly child i think the dog's plot is like leaps and bounds ahead and i hold by my idea that this should have been the first story arc period yeah because it was interesting like it had it had flaws absolutely but not any more than unearthly child did uh and and that's it really i feel like i don't i still don't know what the show is gonna be like going forward but based on what I know about Doctor Who, this more accurately depicts what the show was like than Unearthly Child did. I would say so, yeah. Because um, I, I agree with you. I think it's, the Daleks is definitely overall just a much more interesting story. I think the Daleks are interesting villains. I like, I like that their first alien was something so non-human. Like you can't get, you can't get much more non-human than the Dalek design. I liked the um, interactions that the that the crew had. They kind of had a chance to develop some of the characters. Ian starting to come into his own as like an adventurer, like starting to get a taste for this. And then Barbara being on the exact opposite of the spectrum of I want to go home. Susan was depended on at least early on in the in the story. And I wish that that was reflected a little bit more. In terms of her character development, of her being like, I'm not so useless, but she kind of continues to be. I like that he doesn't fully admit that what he did was wrong, but I think that we are seeing the beginnings of the Doctor becoming a little bit more friendly because his selfish actions didn't just fuck over his traveling companions, it fucked him over just as much, if not more. And so I feel like... That shows like the start of what his character development might show later. But yeah, that's just a very rambly way of saying I really liked it. Yeah, I liked it. And I'm finally starting to kind of grow on the Doctor, I think, by the end of this story. Maybe not in the sense of like grow as in I like him, but like I'm starting to get a groove for how he operates and how um the actor kind of portrays him. Mm-hmm. But yeah, anything anything else? No, that's it. I'm interested to see what the two-part episode is. Well, that's the second episode, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can listen to this podcast on every major app like Apple Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify. We use Anchor FM to publish, so uh, you can watch it anywhere. You can also watch it on Mac's YouTube channel. If you want to see more of us, you can follow our Twitter, uh, QuickTripDW. You can also follow me on Twitter at CLB underscore Clark. And Mac's Twitter is... Is Mac the Meh, which is all one word. And the YouTube channel you can watch me is Mac the Meh, three words. And if you want to support our podcast, the best thing you can do right now is just share it with your friends. So join us again on our quick trip through space and time in which we watch a much shorter episode. And one of my favorites from the Hartnell era in The Edge of Destruction. Boop, 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 boop.